welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from the United States, the United Kingdom, Argentina, Brazil, and a see you in hell back from the United States. So some updates on the legal situations that Donald Trump is currently facing as a result of, well, both his, like, you know, coup attempts and sedition and, you know, stealing secret documents, but also just like the the general illegal shit that he did from uh, being like a, a, you know, a a businessman shyster type person. Uh, Specifically, uh, Donald Trump is now being forced to hand over financial records to Congress, something that he has been fighting against for three years. Uh, This is just like another really terrible thing that's happening to him right now, uh, because it means that Uh, Some of his shadier financial dealings and possible illegal activity related to his finances are going to be public now. However, he did have one uh, very important legal victory in uh, the last week. He was granted something called a special master. Uh, A special master is a third party who uh, evaluates the importance and secrecy and uh, degree of wrongdoing regarding the, you know, the kinds of like leaks of secret documents that he did by stealing secret documents and taking them uh, from the White House to his private residence at Mar-a-Lago following the conclusion of his presidency. Uh, this special master is just like a person who the United States government has allowed and, you know, g- given access to these secret documents in order to determine their level of secrecy and determine the level of wrongdoing that Trump has committed because his argument is that without this other person evaluating this, it's only the government saying these documents are secret and, you know, we won't even tell you what's in them. They're so secret. Uh, So, you know, his his claim is that it's unfair, that it's not neutral. Uh, Essentially, what this means is that this is just really dragging out any potential legal consequences for what he has done, possibly for years, meaning that it's just probably not going to be done in time, like like any prosecution or investigation or certainly any trial, uh, will not be finished in time for it to really affect certainly not the 2020 midterm elections, but um, or 2022 midterm elections, excuse me, uh, and probably also not the 2024 presidential election. Moving on to more aftermath from the January 6th attempted coup. Uh, there have been two very interesting uh, actual sentences for people who participated in this coup. Uh, One of them is uh, the longest prison sentence that has been served for a participant in the coup so far, uh, 10 years in prison for a former NYPD cop. Uh, His name is Thomas Webster. Uh, He's uh, now got the longest prison sentence of anybody who breached the Capitol building on January 6th. But probably more interesting is another case against a different person, who was at the Capitol that week. Uh, this guy is Coey Griffin. Uh, he is the leader of a pro-Trump coalition called Cowboys for Trump. And until earlier this week, he was a county commissioner in New Mexico's Otero County. Um, and he has been found guilty of trying to enter the Capitol building. And the judge at his trial... Uh, he, he, he opted for a, a, a judicial, like just for the judge to, to judge him and he, he represented himself. Uh, and so the judge has for the first time in a court in the United States called January 6th 
officially an insurrection. Uh, now, we've heard that term used in a lot of contexts, especially in the January 6th Special Investigation Committee in the United States House of Representatives, but the use of this word in a legal context carries very particular meaning. Uh, specifically, it means that Coy Griffin is now barred from holding any public office of any kind anywhere in the United States. Uh, this law and this consequence dates all the way back to the Civil War, when people who participated in the Confederacy were barred from ever holding public office again in the United States. The fact that this law is being used now, and these terms are being used now against people who participated in Donald Trump's attempted coup, is very interesting very important. Hopefully more people face similar consequences in the future. Finally, in the United States, uh, Patriot Front, uh, a group that I talked about last week because they had a, a big data leak of uh, video of them conducting training for um, political violence, you know, for street violence. Uh, they responded, I guess, to this uh, with an open rally in downtown Indianapolis. Over the weekend, they just uh, an open fascist march through downtown Indianapolis. Um, they were carrying banners. They were carrying American flags. Uh, they were carrying the same like shields and riot gear type stuff that they can be seen wearing during uh, their training videos. Uh, their banner says, Reclaim America. As a reminder, Patriot Front is an organization that split off of a different sort of fascist organization after the Unite the Right rally in 2017. So unfortunately, they're probably going to be a, a new, bigger, rising movement in the right-wing world in the United States. Moving on to news outside of the United States, Liz Truss is now the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Uh, she beat her opponent, Rashi Sunak, in the uh, Conservative Party election. Uh, this means that she is the third female prime minister of the United Kingdom and the country's fourth prime minister in six years. Uh, she is a, you know, pretty standard down-the-line conservative. She is skeptical of integration in international systems. She is pro-Brexit now. She used to be anti-Brexit uh, when the referendum itself was happening. Uh, she is skeptical of immigration. She is skeptical of diversity and uh, kind of wants to privatize a lot of the government systems that the United Kingdom has. Uh, significantly more uh, disturbing news uh, coming from Latin America. First, uh, today, the day that I am uh, recording this, uh, September the 7th, is Brazil's Independence Day. And the current president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, is using this fact and the fact that he is currently the president uh, and the fact that this isn't just any Independence Day is uh, actually Brazil's bicentennial. Uh, he's using this fact to uh, allow himself uh, to position himself as like the, the future of Brazil, right? He's participating uh, very politically in the rallies and marches. There's a military march every year in Brazil on Independence Day. Um, his supporters uh, have been getting more and more open about their advocacy for extra legal activity in the upcoming Brazilian presidential election uh, to the extent that in recent rallies, Bolsonaro has had to specifically call out supporters who were carrying flags or banners that supported a coup, like that used the word coup. Um, he's had to call them out and say, like, hey, please put that down. Um, simultaneously, on, uh, you know, this Independence Day rally, uh, he has said that his, his supporters need to, you know, quote, make a stand 
in order to defend liberty and freedom uh, and the Brazilian nation, a uh, language that is very similar to the sort of kind of dog whistly roundabout way that Donald Trump talked about the insurrection, uh, saying that people, you know, need to take matters into their own hands uh, and that, you know, this is a, a battle of a battle of the wills, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, Bolsonaro has also doubled down on his claim that, quote, if anybody is accused of an undemocratic act, uh, as in like, if any of my supporters do something that is opposed to democracy, he will, quote, pay for their defense, uh, which is also something that Donald Trump used to say, right? You know, uh, I will cover your uh, legal expenses if you do something that the Democrats don't like. Of course, Trump was lying. And Bolsonaro is also lying because unlike Trump, he's not a billionaire. Like, you know, he, he can't really afford that anyway. Further in Latin America, there was an assassination attempt against Argentina's vice president, uh, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, uh, who was also a former president of the country and also the wife of a former president of the country, uh, Nestor Kirchner. Uh, last weekend, she was leaving a rally in the capital of Argentina, Buenos Aires, uh, a rally in, a, in actually a very well-off neighborhood uh, in the northern part of the city. Uh, and as she was leaving, a man rushed up to her and pointed a pistol at her face. Uh, there's a video of this. It's, it's actually quite incredibly disturbing. Uh, he points the pistol at her face and fires. Uh, however, the gun jammed, and so nothing happened. Uh, however, if the gun had not jammed, she would almost certainly have been killed by his uh, extremely direct shot uh, to her head. Uh, after he was apprehended, uh, it turns out that uh, the guy's name is Fernando Sabag Montiel. Uh, Mr. Montiel has been arrested previously in Argentina in 2021 for carrying an enormous knife in public. Uh, he did have a permit to carry the gun that he used in his assassination attempt. He is a Brazilian citizen uh, with Argentine and Chilean parents and is known, uh, based on his social media profiles, uh, to have a Nazi-affiliated tattoo on his elbow. Specifically, it's a sort of uh, pagan-associated Nazi tattoo, uh, sometimes called the Black Sun. Uh, this means that he could be, like, just, he could just think that it's something badass, or it could be a, um, you know, a slightly dog-whistly way to signal that he is a fascist. Uh, the investigation into his motives and to his associations is currently ongoing in Argentina. However, the Argentine police is being very clear that they do not believe that he was acting alone. They are apprehending some of his associates, uh, including his girlfriend. Uh, and there have been raids on those people's places and also on um, cultural centers and organizations that he frequented, including one uh, in Buenos Aires called the Kyle Rittenhouse Cultural Center. Pretty disturbing stuff. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to hear more about that as that in investigation continues. The context for this is that um, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner is an extremely divisive person in Argentine politics, uh, including in her party itself. Uh, she and the current president of Argentina, Alberto Fernandez, are in the process of um, arguing and conflicting over the control of the Peronist Party, the Peronist Coalition, which is currently the governing party in Argentina, and therefore of the government in Argentina itself. Uh, so uh, it's an extremely volatile situation there, uh, and we're just going to have to continue to learn more about it as it comes up. 
Finally, going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are returning to the United States, and I'm talking about Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly was a right-wing political advocate in the United States. Uh, she is primarily known for her opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, she was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1924 to a middle-class family. Uh, she did very well in school. Her parents uh, prioritized her education, uh, and she actually excelled very well. Uh, she attended Washington University in St. Louis, which is uh, the, the city's leading liberal arts university and one of the best in the United States. Uh, she then attended law school at Washington University, where she received her JD. Uh, she also attended uh, the, at the time, women's college that was associated with Harvard University because when she was in school, Harvard University was an all-male institution. She then turned to government work uh, after a couple attempts at getting elected herself. Um, she was a part of very important and influential uh, socially conservative Republican candidacies. Uh, this is also about the time in the 1940s uh, when she married her soon-to-be husband, John Fred Schlafly. Uh, the Schlafleys are an important uh, St. Louis socialite family. Uh, Mr. Schlafly was an attorney himself. That's how they met. The Schlafleys remain an important socialite family in St. Louis, uh, although they are currently divided between the uh, Phyllis Schlafly branch, which is extremely conservative, and the branch that owns uh, Schlafly Brewery, the beer, uh, which are actually quite liberal. Uh, so don't worry, this doesn't mean that you have to boycott the beer. It's actually quite good. Uh, Schlafly turned to political activism in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, um, and she became a major part of the um, realignment of the Republican Party from its original position as a sort of classically liberal urban genteel party into a socially conservative party. Um, she did this uh, throughout the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, uh, getting first major success uh, as the author of a book that opposed the candidacy of uh, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, a essentially probably the last classically liberal Republican candidate, just like straight up a classically liberal Republican, uh, you know, in the in in the vein of a um, of a Roosevelt, for example, uh, Schlafly was part of a large coalition of people engaging in this kind of activity, and she is most famous for leading the charge against the Equal Rights Amendment in the early 1970s. Now, she had been opposing the Equal Rights Amendment from its proposal in the 1960s based on her claim that it was better for women to have the separate statuses that they had and, and you know, like, like different filing options that they had uh, regarding taxes and things like that, like different dependency options that they had. Uh, and her claim was a socially conservative one. You know, her claim is that women are a different type of person and that need to be legally, that they need to be legally treated in this way. Uh, unfortunately, Phyllis Schlafly won this fight. Uh, the Equal Rights Amendment did not pass. Uh, it so far has not in the United States. Uh, it was extremely close to passing, and political scientists and historians agree that her opposition to it was uh, key, was critical to stopping the Equal Rights Amendment from getting passed. Uh, after that, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, she remained an important advocate for conservatism and for the full realignment of the Republican Party, which was essentially completed by the victory of Reagan and then George W. Bush. She continued in this vein until her death uh, from cancer complications this week in history. 
September 5th, 2016. So, Phyllis Schlafly, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, uh, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. You can reach me on Gmail at 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. And I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week.